to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome to another one of our programs on purpose-driven organizations dedicated to making a positive economic, social, and environmental impact on our world. We're having a series of conversations with people who are committed to making a difference by contributing their time expertise and experience to supporting these organizations and participating in the development of new solutions for achieving sustainability. This series is sponsored and supported by the Business Law Section of the American Bar Association, which has over 50,000 members and has just published the Corporate Social Responsibility Deskbook. Sales of the Deskbook has been gratifying And these podcasts provide a great opportunity to provide more information within the legal community and to entrepreneurs, directors, executives, managers, investors, and others interested in one of the most important global topics of our time. I'm Alan Gutterman at Gutterman PC, working in the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Area. And I'm your host for the series and one of the co-editors and authors of the desk book. Today, We will be hearing from Suze McCormick, who wrote the chapter on social enterprises and impact investment. We'll have Suze tell us more about herself during the conversation. But for now, let me set the stage by giving you a little bit of background. Suze is a corporate partner at Morrison & Forrester in San Francisco. Since 2001, she has dedicated her career to focusing on ESG and impact particularly developing and implementing legal solutions such as corporate forms, financing instruments, and vehicles for the aggregation of capital to address climate change. Sue's advises a full range of investors focused on social and environmental impact, including traditional top-tier venture and growth equity investors entering the impact space for the first time, and those looking for innovative solutions in this space. Suze teaches at Berkeley Law School, uh, my alma mater, was a founding board member of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and she is currently on the board of directors of Business for Social Responsibility, dedicated to building a just and sustainable world, and the President's Council at Ceres, whose tagline is, sustainability is the bottom line. Suze, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience and purpose with our listeners. Let's start with having you give us a real quick overview of where you work and who you work with. Good morning, Alan, and thanks so much for for doing this on on behalf of the American Bar Association and practitioners everywhere. Um, I'm pleased to to join you and and to talk a little bit about TSR, Sustainability, and ESG. Uh, as you mentioned, I am a partner. I started in New York, uh, but I've been at Morrison and Forrester since 1996. And I really started in this space as a result of the downturn, the economic downturn in 2001, when there was not a lot of corporate work. And for personal reasons, I got very interested. And as I like to say, I took the red pill on environmental sustainability and climate change. And since then, uh, my practice has really focused on 
sort of innovative mainstream capital markets, private and public capital market solutions to um, environmental and social issues focused on, on climate. Since the, the title for the book includes Corporate Social Responsibility, or CSR, and um, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, in the uh, lead-up to our recording today, and uh, it's clear that there are a lot of different ideas about what's going on in this area. Could you share with us a little bit about your understanding of concepts such as CSR, ESG, sustainability, purpose, in any other terms that are used in this area, and how how you try and explain all that to your clients and colleagues, uh, friends, and 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 family members. Well, it's a confusing area because there are a lot of different terms that are used, um, and they all mean similar but different things. Um, and they also people use the same term to mean different things. So. I will start with CSR. Um, I was a bit discouraged that the book, the ABA book, is entitled CSR because CSR, corporate social responsibility, is really um, in today's parlance a dated word. CSR sort of grew out of the 70s movement um, where corporations started to believe that they needed to have some what I describe as good stuff on the side. They started adding foundations, you know, MoFo, and I know your your old, your former firms, Alan, have foundations mm-hmm. on the side. They started putting in place programs that were designed to do, um, to provide good service to the community, but they were not linked with the underlying operations. And for the most part, that is what CSR programs are today for large corporations. CSR programs are, you know, right to work day or, you know, let's, let's, let's go and plant a tree. Um, however, there is a regulatory overlay. So CS, some of CSR has become sort of hard law in terms of conflict minerals or reporting requirements. But for the most part, it is kind of the good stuff on the side for corporations that contrasts with a movement that started in the 90s towards sustainability. Sustainability was initially focused on environmental, um, but it is now broader. And when corporations focus on a sustainability, now they really focus on ESG. And some companies and investors use sustainability and some use ESG. And the distinction between CSR and ESG is ESG is really looking at environmental, social, and governance elements that are material to operation. So this is core to the business, not sort of separate or the good stuff on the side. So, and it relates differently to every sector. It's something that I always stress, Alan, is that what is really material in terms of ESG for healthcare will be different from consumer, will be different from energy. But examples of E are obviously carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, energy management. S can be consumer privacy, human rights. And G, business ethics, supply chain management, you know, board of directors. So these are sort of core to the operations. And then you have kind of impact and purpose which is really used on the investment side to describe, you know, investors that are focused on 
and as opposed to or. So they're focused on some of them on shareholder returns in addition to uh, environmental and social factors. Yes, that's, that's actually, yeah, the, um, as we did discuss, the, uh, the corporate social responsibility or, or our CSI uh, name tag is, is uh, you know, a bit controversial, uh, certainly as we put the book together, um it it took on a bit of a a, a compliance uh focus uh, which is certainly important and certainly i'm sure part of uh things that that uh, professionals do on a day-to-day basis but um it certainly has has become become more than that uh recently there's been a lot of talk about uh purpose uh and that sort of thing which perhaps if, if you wish you can uh, you could talk a little bit more about later in the program. Um, going back, you've, you've told me a little bit about uh, how you got started with this and everything. Um, could you take a, a couple of minutes to, to provide a little bit more uh, detail about, uh, you know, what, what, what your path has been like professionally as you, as you move through what sorts of, 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 New projects came along, and 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 how you got to where you are today. Um, as I often say, it's better to be lucky than smart. Um, but the best the best thing that happened to me, Alan, was in 2001. I had made partner early at Mofo, and the bubble burst. And so you went from doing, you know, there's more work and more deals uh, than you could handle to having very little to do in October of that year. Um, my husband had gotten very involved um, in restoration work at the Presidio, in the Presidio where we live, the Presidio National Park. And through mm-hmm. that, I actually had some time out of the office, but I wasn't doing deals, and I started meeting all of these fabulous people who really, as I mentioned earlier, helped me to see sort of the, the intersection between sort of business and operations and the corporate work I was doing and it, climate change and environmental degradation. And I was sitting at my desk, and it was sort of like chocolate and peanut butter. I, I really only know about corporate law and swimming and a little bit about parenting. And I was really convinced back then that this was going to mean that sort of the environmental degradation, and particularly climate change, was going to mean a, a fundamental you know, sort of seismic shift in how business operated. And so... I felt both sort of a moral obligation to start working on it, but I also thought it was going to be a good business opportunity that I could focus in this area sort of melding environmental sustainability and corporate law in a way that I didn't see at any other law firms. And so um, when you're, you know, the only the only person focused in an area, this is what I mean, you end up being lucky. Then when the market took off and then first we had clean tech and sustainability, now we have impact you know, you build a much longer track record. And again, I got involved for, for personal reasons, but then I put a, a business plan together. I started working some, uh, mostly pro bono, um, with with groups like TNC, uh, the Nature Conservancy, and I started to be their go-to person whenever they were structuring sort of really creative market solutions to sustainability problems. So some of my first... Um, but my really my first assignments were actually putting together a legal entity to aggregate fish quotas in the Monterey Bay, and then 
um, negotiate an agreement with the Monterey Bay Aquarium for the first sort of sustainable fishing um, that then obviously took off. Um, my first assignment, real 2000-2001 on the corporate side, was Pacific Community Ventures, where a nonprofit that was providing services to um, to low-income uh, folks wanted to put together a fund to invest in companies that hired um, hired you know workers in certain zip codes that otherwise were un- unemployed or unemployable. And so that was the first time I started playing with corporate form of melding a nonprofit and for-profit together in terms of a hybrid. So fast mm. forward a couple years, I uh, when B-Labs tried to bring the constituency statute to California with Marshall Small, who was one of my mentors at the firm, uh, we um, asked Schwarzenegger to veto it, but then started work. And I, I became convinced that we needed a new corporate forum. So with Todd Johnson at Jones Day, we put together a working group of 10 corporate lawyers in California that drafted the first of the new corporate forums. They're all referred to as B Corps. A B Corp is just a certification mark. There are SBCs, PBCs, and benefit corporations. All of them are very different state by state. But what all of them do is they have a dual fiduciary duty for boards and management. So they have boards and management have to focus on some agreed environmental or social goals in addition to shareholder returns. So by that point, I'm a couple years in. This is 2005, 2006. I'm focused on drafting this form. And then the market starts turning and clients start coming to me, investors and companies who want to do both. They want to you know, have shareholder returns, and they want to focus on environmental or social issues. And so I started to get hired, I think, because I was the only person focusing on it. Todd Johnson mm-hmm. was doing a lot of this work, so at, at, at Jones Day, and we actually collaborated quite a bit. Um, and so I started doing work on governance and fiduciary duties on corporate form, and then with companies and investors. And really, I specialize again in when you, when you're not extension of philanthropy, but you want to you know access mainstream capital or deploy mainstream capital. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, one of the, one of the things that um, I'm interested in is getting a sense from from, from folks about um, uh, what they tell people who want to get started in this area and and um taking what you you just talked about your path and everything um could you share some thoughts uh, I, I know one thing that that we spoke about is that over time uh, more and more uh, uh less experienced attorneys new attorneys uh, are coming into corporate practice and, and looking to this area as as a new path something different yeah, you know, based on traditional skills, uh, I, I think you, you probably, I'm sure you'd agree that uh, you, you really need to be a top-notch uh, corporate governance attorney understanding the lay of the land uh, before you move even further into these new forms of entities and everything. Um, can you share for a bit, and, and I, I, we'll do it with, with, with younger attorneys in your in your firm to begin with, and, and, and others, because I know you teach and you have you have students who've started these practices at other firms in the area as well. Quite generous of you. Uh, uh, you know what what sorts of things do you uh, 
might you tell them in terms of how how to get started in this? What the, what should they be doing? Who should they meet? Where should they go? How do they go to practice in this area? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think this area is new at the large firms. So uh, I, I think folks, young attorneys can start at small firms, medium firms, or large firms. But at all of them, I strongly recommend that they get some baseline or training in the underlying sort of non, non-impact field, non-socially responsible field. Um, you know, if they want to focus in patent law or in litigation or in licensing or in corporate, public or private, uh, this this area, you know, debt, we do a lot of debt finance as well, um, M&A, all of these areas at our firm, there are folks who are who are concentrating on impact and how impact, you know, sort of bleeds into those types of transactions or matters or cases. But for all of them, I strongly recommend that they get really good training as a lawyer first in that area so they have some baseline. So when attorneys come into our firm, um, they can work some with me on impact-related matters, um, but I recommend they work with other partners as well, and they get a good general corporate corporate training. And by the time that they're a third year or so, they can start specializing. So I do have associates who do almost their entire practice, you know, is impact-focused. But I, the analogy I draw, Alan, is kind of, you know, your doctor – you really want to learn all parts of the body and how it all functions before you specialize in taking out the appendix, you know. And so, and you know, and, and you actually want to take out the appendix for a few times before somebody hires you to transplant an appendix. So, and, and impact at scale, the type of impact we're talking about now, really, you can only do it well in these areas if you if you sort of under, understand the underlying framework or the underlying law. So, in other words, if you want impact, Within the scaffolding of governance, let's say a large public utility, you really have to understand the governance of the large public utility and what works and what doesn't work, and then you can layer impact in. Um, and I think that is very, very important. The number of lawyers and folks that I meet who care passionately about climate, but they don't really understand security law, for example. And I do get folks who are like, "Well." You know, but I'm doing good. Do you really have to comply with the security <laughs> law? Well, yes, 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 you do. Or, but I'm doing so much good. I'm putting together this hybrid. Do I have to really obey all these laws that the IRS has about you know private endowment and private benefits? The answer is yes, 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 you do. And so, my advice is you get the underlying training. My other really strong message to young people who want to practice in this area is I'm about as old as it gets in terms of, you know, partners who have been practicing. They're not a whole bunch of old, gray-haired, no offense, Alan, sort of middle-aged and older men who kind of own this area. You have to work your way up. Most of the, I think, seven of the ten practices in this area at large firms have been started by my students, and I teach this three-credit class at Berkeley Law School, and so I've been teaching it for seven years. So they're six, seventh years. They're they're young and they're running the practice because they understand more about sort of new forms and structuring impact investments than their more senior counterparts. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, you, you touched on something that I'm interested in: in that when you have uh, conversations with um, with entrepreneurs and founders who come in. And, and, and talk to you and your colleagues and say, 
uh, I want to establish a purpose-driven business, et cetera, you know, um, tell me how to do that and, and, and what have you. And, and my experience is similar to yours is that oftentimes uh, you have to spend time that, that you sometimes wonder isn't appreciated uh, when, you, when you have to explain to them that there are large areas of the law uh, that still need to be complied with, regardless of whether or not you're a, a social enterprise or, or or what have you. So that's that's it's, uh, you know a challenging conversation. There it takes a lot of patience and time and and that sort of thing. Um, can you, you just add to that, Alan, before we sure. go to the next one? It is there is not one size fits all. So for any attorney listening, somebody comes to you and says. I want to have impact or I want to have purpose, either as a company or investor, the first question you should ask is, what do you mean? Because I was going to get to it later, but impact means all things to all people. And, you know, you could want to have high returns, and as long as you have some impact, that's good. Or you could want, you know, all impact and have low returns, or you could want both. And because impact is being used to describe grants and philanthropic investments, and it's being used by Carlisle and Bain and TPG to, to, to describe, you know, return-first investments, and it's all muddled. And, and on the purpose, the entrepreneur, what do you mean you want purpose? And really drilling down on kind of what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, where their investment comes from, is going to come from, really helps influence kind of what form because a lot of people are like, hey, we just want to be a B Corp. I, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, what does that mean to you? There is not one mm-hmm. solution that is kind of the panacea to, to make you a purpose-driven company. There are a whole variety of tools that we have developed in the last 15 or 20 years that can help make sure you have impact or focus on ESG, but to do it in a way that meets with your other business goals. Like, I mean, if you're a for-profit, you have to make enough money to keep the lights on or attract investment. So mm-hmm. um, the combination, I think, is really important. Yep, absolutely. I mean, sustainability, it's, as I understand it and describe it, is, uh, among other things, uh, creating a sustainable business. Uh, you want to be around long enough to do the good that you're trying to do. Uh, otherwise. Um, uh, you know, there's your your whole your whole objective is is compromised there. Let me let me talk let, let's talk a bit about first of all for the listeners once again to remind that that Susan and her team prepared two two chapters for the book, um, one on social enterprises, the other on impact investing. We we've, we've already talked a, a, a bit about social enterprises and uh, the history of that and. And that sort of thing. So I, I, I thought we'd sort of spend a little more time on on the impact investing side. And I, I will tell everyone that uh, they should, if they have the time, go to uh, to the firm's Impact Investing Resource Center at, at mofo.com. They have some great resources there that explain impact investing and um that sort of thing, but uh, I, I was hoping at this point, Susan, that you could give our listeners some some practical illustrations of of impact investing and different instruments, different strategies, different different types of things that uh, that you and your team do on a day to day basis. Uh, that uh, hopefully we have some 
we have some entrepreneurs out there listening to this at some point in time and, uh, uh, you know, what, what they can learn from it and start thinking about. Happy to. Um, so when we're, when we're, when we're representing impact investors and I was, when I was thinking about my day today, I have two investments from large PE firms that are focused on impact. I have two family offices that are doing investments and what creative structuring to make sure they get return and have impact. And I've actually just been hired by a, an early stage fund, which I don't typically work with to do kind of all three things what we do, which is sort of aggregate capital, put together an SPV, um, make an investment in a portfolio company, and then restructure the portfolio company. Um, it, all of those are kind of included under impact investment. So when I when we talk about the investment itself, um, we really have have used sort of the traditional flavors of preferred equity, convertible debt, um, straight debt, and, and we have played with a, a safe and actually converted it to a fair. So on preferred mm. equity, what we have done, again, there is a range of things you can do with preferred equity depending on what kind of impact you want. So there's a whole bunch of things we would do if we were representing, say, a foundation like Gates, and there are a whole bunch of different things we would do if we were, say, representing Carlisle. Um, so there's a menu of options. But in terms of some of the things that we've done that are kind of bog standard in the middle, having protective provisions so a class of stock actually has to vote to approve any change to the business purpose, and we expand business purpose to the mission. Having really robust information and reporting rights around impact. On convertible debt, we have used use of proceeds, which are fairly typical, like for green bonds. We also have impact covenants. Um, that require the company to operate or to, use, to to perform in a certain way around impact. And then we actually have impact defaults. We don't want a mainstream default, which would cause cost defaults, but an impact default where you could actually not trigger a, a repayment of the loan unless it was extreme, but you could have a higher interest rate. That has translated mm-hmm. into kind of what I'm most excited about in impact investment investment itself right now, which are the SDG-linked performance-based bonds that are now floating in the public markets in the billions of dollars. NL was the first out of Italy to issue these. And they're SDG or Sustainable Development Goals by the U.S. And what the investors, and this is the big banks like Goldman Sachs, said to the company is if you perform well on certain sustainable development goals like mitigating climate, you actually will pay less of an interest rate. So that is really exciting. And then finally, the safe we have converted into what we call a fair note, where you actually are taking a an initial investment commitment and not making a decision on whether it will be a grant, debt, or equity until 12 to 18 months later when you've seen how the company performs on certain financial and impact-related goals. So that's sort of at the cutting edge. So the preferred equity, the first one I mentioned, is is now bog standard. We do it all the time. The fair is sort of the cutting edge of what we're working on. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, uh, I've read a lot about uh, each of those things, and uh, it certainly is – an exciting time uh, in, in, in each of those in each of those topics. Um, as, as we close, uh, 
I wondered if you uh, – two more questions. Uh, one, what I'm not going to ask it now, I'm going to ask it after this one, is um, to give you a chance to talk about, uh, you know, uh, any big issues that we haven't we haven't touched on, be it, be it climate change or what have you, that, that are occupying a lot of your time and thought and uh, – We'll, we'll, we'll fill your, 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 uh, your path over the next few years. But, um, one thing I, I think it's important for the listeners to, to understand is that as I read your, your, your background and projects that you're involved with and, you know, references to the, uh, SASB and, and, and BSR and that sort of thing is that while we are two lawyers talking to each other, um, the issues that we're speaking about here uh, transcend the law and and go into discussions about uh, you know very traditional uh, management financial uh, functions, uh, including accounting, reporting, governance, and that sort of thing. Um, could you could you take a minute or two to to, to share how you how you uh, came to decide to invest? Your, your 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 little free time on working with 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 those organizations. I, I will, um, and then yeah, I I think you're. I, I will, and then I, I want to go back to your point on kind of how this is being integrated um, into companies and investments. So I, I really what I did early on was you know there there are millions of people doing good things, um, and because I'm sort of I'm a big firm corporate lawyer. I decided to actually pick a few organizations that were really trying to move the needle in the sort of the mainstream capital markets with corporations and investors and really focus there. So those that my big three were TNC series and and um, BSR and, and also SASB. So, you know, because those organizations sort of needed my, my skill set, mm-hmm. I focused I focused on those from a pro bono perspective. And then as I mentioned, sort of the, the paid clients rose on the side. I will say while I was doing mainly pro bono for the first five or six years, I did a lot of work for SoftBank, Intel and Somatic being my big three investor clients. What I find fascinating in terms of what's going forward is I still do a lot of work for SoftBank and Somatic. And a lot of that is mainstream, doing SoftBank's investment in Uber or WeWork. However, for both SoftBank and Tomasic, their focus on ESG and impact has grown exponentially. So I find myself in a way I never envisioned 10 years ago, kind of blending it in, blending the sort of the ESG and the impact work into what are traditionally seen as mainstream investors. And it, it raises a point that you didn't ask, but I wanted to stress, really there is a, a, a debate about shareholder privacy and how do you do all this, you know, if there if there is shareholder privacy. Um, I remember I was asked to teach at the director's college a number of years ago and Bob Munheim and I were um, on a panel and he set up a hypothetical and said, well, you know, if you focus on, you know, ESG or sustainability, you know, sort of by definition, you're going to have lower returns. And that was his assumption going in. And I basically said, I, I can't, I can't play with you with this hypothetical because I disagree with you with your assumption. I remember that the panel ended mm-hmm. with Bob saying, 
I'm on five boards, none of them focus on this. And I said, respectfully, I think then those companies are going to be left behind. Because I think the debate over shareholder privacy is missing the point. Because really, if you just focus on climate, there 95% of emissions are ag, transport, energy. So, you know, MOFO or Cooley or even Bank of America or Goldman becoming, you know, carbon neutral or Google being carbon neutral doesn't make any difference in terms of climate. You need those big three. And there is a lot those three can do um, within the current, even if you believe in shareholder privacy, because they they can and should and are starting to consider um, climate risk and emission reduction just because it's, an, it's operationally, they have to do that. Uh, operationally, it's the best thing to do for the shareholders. So I think you can do an incredible amount of work without debating. And, and actually, on the, I will say on the social enterprise side, there are a ton of companies you know, the solar companies, the electric car companies, my web foods, where the impact is linked to the return. So in other words, web foods example I give is the more they educate kids on nutrition, the more kids buy their, their healthy, nutritious lunches. So there's a direct tie. So I, I think you could do a lot of work without having the debate on shareholder privacy. And I feel like it, we, you know, it gets overblown, particularly, you know, we're talking about corporations at scale. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but we're almost at the end of our time. Is, is there? I wanna. I wanna ask one last question, uh, or or basically um, ask you to uh, take a few moments to to comment or on anything that I may have neglected to ask you. Anything that that uh, is, is particularly important in your day to day right now, or Again, as I mentioned before, uh, looking, uh, you know, down the road, this is 2020. There is, there is a lot of debate about this being a crucial decade in each of these areas. Um, and, um, just any last perspectives that you might want to share with our listeners would be appreciated. Well, that's. The climate, for me, I, we work on a lot of different issues, and actually the members of my team get to choose what they're most passionate about. So we are working on projects related to prison reform and education and health care and financial inclusion. But for me, all of those are important, but climate is, 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 is the issue of our time and has been. And really, we only have – we may not have much time left. Um, there are a lot of mechanisms to address climate, but really sort of capital, capital markets, corporations are one of the most effective tools. And so that is where I have been focusing. And in terms of kind of what's next, you know, we have the you know the business purpose, having them board sign on to a statement of purpose. To me, that is a gateway drug to a shift of fiduciary duties. And the shift mm-hmm. of fiduciary duties is really what is embedded in the PBC SBC model, again, I view that as different from the benefit corporation model. But let's just take the Delaware Public Benefit Corporation, where you have, you know, shareholder agreed social and environmental goals that a board has a fiduciary duty to focus on alongside shareholder value. You really are. Mm-hmm. It goes from, you know, you know, it goes from sort of a corporation can do it in the current construct. You could focus on these things to being a requirement that a folk, a company does. 
And what is most interesting to me is where some of these debates about corporate form and shifting fiduciary duty are occurring. They are starting to occur at Fortune 50 companies who are starting to refer as the PB, to the PBC as a sweet pill, alternative to a poison pill as an anti-takeover measure, number one. That, to me, is intellectually interesting, and I'm excited to work on it. What I'm even more excited about is, number two, that some of the biggest companies, the biggest emitters, the energy, the ag, the transport, are starting to look at the PBC model as a means to allow them to make significant investments as they have to pivot in terms of how they, you know, how they farm or, you know, how they generate energy. And if they are going to deploy significant assets and investments, they could take a short-term stock price drop because it's not going to lead directly to shareholder returns. The PBC, unlike the benefit corporation model, actually insulates the board and management from liability if they focus, if they make that trade-off and say, for example, large energy company, I've got trillions of dollars of stranded assets. I want to pivot and make significant investments in renewables. Um, I can do that. And if I'm a PBC and, and my stock price drops, I can't be sued because I'm protected from liability for, you know, if, if I have I've shifted to a PBC and I have, you know, climate as my mandate in addition to shareholder returns. And that, from a corporate form perspective, is probably what I am most interested in. Um, and those conversations are happening, if not theoretical, at some of the largest utilities and energy companies. They are considering these options as we move in. And I think you know, it will take a couple companies that are in bankruptcy or desperate to do it, but I think that they, they will do it. So that is very exciting. Hmm. Very interesting. Very, very well said. I, I, in the conversations that I've had with, with, um, corporate counsel, general counsel, uh, over the last few months, uh, with the book and everything like that, um, one area that, that I've noticed that uh, leaves them, um, sometimes shaking their heads, uh, not in disbelief, but just, uh, really in a quandary is, is how to, to deal with and address the, you know, the concept of climate change, what that means, uh, what they're supposed to do, uh, how they're supposed to counsel their board members and things like that. So it's certainly an area that, that, um, is broad and, and, and of great import in the years to come. The, the other thing, of course, is, you know, the PBC is certainly something that needs to be in uh, the toolkits of, uh, of uh, governance counselors uh, everywhere uh, going forward. So uh, we, we certainly have you right right in a good spot um, and uh, an exciting exciting time ahead for you and your team. And um, I want to thank you, Suze, for, for participating today. I want to thank your team uh, and you for working on the desk book. And I want to thank everyone out there uh, for listening today. Uh, I hope you'll join me for other programs in the series and that uh, let you know that you'll find information about the series and all of my guests and the desk book, as well as resources on series, series topics provided by the contributors. Uh, at, at my website, uh, there's also resources that uh, are available uh, at, at uh, mofo.com as I mentioned earlier that uh, you should definitely review 
If you have any questions for me of any or any of our guests, send me an email at alangutterman at gmail.com. And uh, once again, this has been uh, Alan Gutterman, and I hope to be talking to you again soon. Uh, thanks for listening today. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.